It's Monday, January 16th, and we have, well, we've got a lot going on. We have Rob, Brandon, and Brad of what was Coco Drio. It's dry January for Scott and two new segments. Welcome to Eat It, Virginia. Welcome to Eat It Virginia, your number one podcast source for food news and interviews with the people who make Virginia restaurants great. Follow us on social media at Eat It Virginia and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. My name is Scott Wise and I am joined as always by my friend, my friend Roby Martin. Almost gotten over the hangover that your eggnog left me. That was powerful stuff, Roby. Thank you. I have to publicly thank you for my, for my gift. Thank you very much. Very kind. I like a good eggnog. I think that it's um, a dying art, so I'm trying to keep it up. Your eggnog might be the last alcohol I've had because I'm doing dry January, which we'll get to in a moment. But first, do you mind telling the folks at home who we're talking to today and why? So we have the group behind what was originally called Coco Drio. Um, Now we will learn, if you listen to the interview, we'll learn what it's going to be called. They're rebranding. So we have Rob Long. It's such a tease. I know. I like it, though. Don't you? You have to get to the interview and listen to them tell you. It's also going to be in the podcast title, so. Oh, well, Bar West, then. If it's going to be in the podcast title, there it is. Rob Long, Brad Slimaker, and Brandon McConnell are all going to be chatting about what they've got going on and how things are going to change over there in that corner of Libby and Grove. I think it's going to be fun. This is a restaurant that was open less than a year, open to much fanfare, very nice inside, and now it's totally pivoting and we'll get to the bottom of that. They're they're pretty open. They seem to be pretty open and honest with the reasons why and some of the pitfalls and roadblocks they hit along the way. So hopefully you guys enjoy that interview. It definitely was some eye-opening things for me and then some interesting hot takes, I think, that Rob has about that neighborhood. So listen for those. Um, Also, some weird news, probably I should keep to myself, but I think that you're going to see some rebranding of some other places nearby that they may bring up. You want to delve into that a little further or are we waiting to see? Okay, That's as far as I'm going to go, but I really think that it... um, we do talk about this restaurant while we talk about with them, but I don't know enough yet to be able to tell you more. All right. Roby's got her ears to the ground. She's she's checking her sources, going to get the scoop, hopefully, and we will bring it to you in a future podcast if it comes to bear. Something I made out some life changes for January. January is a good time to sit back and reflect and think about the years that's passed and the kind of year you want to have. I think for the first time in my life, I am trying the dry January. I don't think I've done that before. I don't think I have an alcohol problem per se, but it's funny when you go to the doctor and they say, how many alcoholic drinks do you have in a week? Zero, one, or two plus. But there's a lot of room between two plus and, you know, 15. So I'm going to try this and see how I feel at the end of the month. It's, it's, it's funny. I don't really drink too much during the week, to be honest. I'm feeling it. Like I'm, I think I'm feeling it more mentally than physically at this point. Like, oh, I can't, I can't sit down and have a drink tonight, or I can't go out and meet a friend because typically that would be a drink involved. So, new things. So, 13 days in, if you started on January the first, right? Yes. yes. So let's talk about this. Um, how are you sleeping? 
better or worse? Um, about the same, not noticeable difference yet. Really? Yeah. I typically don't sleep great anyway, but maybe that's because of the alcohol. So maybe that's something that is going to be hopefully improving in the coming weeks, days and weeks. So I on and off, I don't know if you probably don't, I don't know if we've talked about this. I am. Um, I actually try to avoid drinking at least three days of the week because it affects my sleeping. And I wear this thing right here, this aura, which is on my right hand, and it tells me how I sleep. And I can tell you that the nights that I drink, my heart rate doesn't lower till far they're into the evening of sleeping, which affects my sleep altogether. So I think that dry January is a lot of crap, but I do think drinking in moderation is a big deal. So how about sometimes that? It ta- sometimes it takes a it takes a drastic kickstart to get to change, you know, the way you do things. So we'll see. And as you know about me, you know I love a cocktail. So that is that like before. yeah. So so um saying that there's a space where I don't do a lot a lot of drinking. I really would like to not give that out to the world, but I am. So there you go. <laughs> I know you have opinions on mocktails. So yes, I do. So I really think that <laughs> I think I think that mocktails, essentially sugar water, is for the birds, hummingbirds, really, because that's what they like. Um, I do think that some places can be very creative with their mocktails. Why do we call them that? What a horrible name. Why not just call them cocktails? I, I mean, like it's, 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 I don't, I don't understand it anyway. Um, I love sparkling water <laughs> for that type of thing. Tell me where you have had a good cocktail that does not involve alcohol because somebody still has to mix that if it's any good. And the price reflects that. Yeah. Um, I, uh, so I've been to three places since the new year. First was Kismet, the new Indian restaurant mm-hmm. on Broad Street. Had it. Sp- I don't remember all the names. Of, I'm not great with names of cocktails, but it was the spicy cocktail. And it was very spicy. Like, oh. Yeah. Like really good. Very spicy. And in fact, when I was driving home, I was like, am I affected by this? I don't know. It got juices flowing and I was driving home and I was like, man, this is interesting. You remember talking to the guys from um, um, Barb and David from the Village Garden? He was talking about all the effects that curcumin and all that stuff has, like capsaicin has on you. And a lot of that stuff is in the spicing for Indian food. So perhaps maybe. Liked it a lot. Liked it a lot. Then I went to Leisure on a date night with my daughter. Ooh. uh, Sonny brought over his mocktail uh, for the month and it was pomegranate, fresh pomegranates, pomegranate flavored. And Sadie and I both tried it and really enjoyed it. Very refreshing. Wasn't spicy. Very refreshing. And I also had one at Pinkies. And I'm sorry, Pinkies. I don't remember exactly what was in it, but we all had them around the table. It was, it was, it was Pinkies. It's such a fun restaurant. And oh gosh, yes. the, drink, the drink was great. And um, dinner was great. We celebrated my niece's birthday there. Oh, nice. A lot of celebrating happening so far in yeah, January. Yeah, in January, full of celebrations. We're going to celebrate the birth of two new segments on the podcast. Transition. <laughs> One is going to be called Best Bites, where Roby and I talk about the best bite of food or sip of drink we had over since the last podcast. So we have it's been a little while since we've had a podcast, so we have lots from which to choose. And the second segment, I'm not really sure what we're gonna call it. I know Quickfire was like that's like a quick fire challenge. That's that's in the game show, right? 
Mm-hmm. So something something involving short, like short order or order up. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But that's going to be where I kind of surprise Roby with some recent restaurant announcements and then get her take on them, her insider take on them, and then kind of like, you know, what she thinks reading the tea leaves about about these new establishments. So well, this always gets me in trouble, Scott. And you like to get me in trouble. And everybody likes me when I'm in trouble or they don't like me when I'm tr- in trouble. But let's do it. <laughs> it's called Ratings Gold. And we'll do that <laughs> after our interview with the folks over at Cocodrio, a.k.a. Farwest. looking at who kicked off our podcast in 2020 and do you know who he is 2020 not a lot has happened since 2020 <laughs> nothing has happened i, since I can't really remember but interestingly enough that fine young gentleman is sitting right across from me right now so i know exactly who it is you're talking about so on the first episode of 2020 our second season we had rob long now the first episode of 2023 our fifth season we have rob long brad slamucker and brandon mcdonald McConnell. <laughs> she did that on purpose. I did that. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for that. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Hi. Um, tell me about what's going on in the world of Cocodrillo, which opened the first two weeks of March last year. Um, all owners of Cocodrillo sitting with us. So, you guys are, well, let's call it a Latin American restaurant, right? That's what you started with, with a behemoth of a wood-fired stove back there. Let's go through what brought that in and then talk about where we're going now. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, the wood-fired grill is incredible. It's going nowhere. And we were Coco Drilo, and we are now pivoting, as some folks have seen with our Instagram announcement. Um, a lot has happened since then in the world and in the restaurant here and in restaurants everywhere. Um, the beauty of having two chef partners that are incredible with all cuisines is that when you look at the world and think some things might be changing and you have incredible trust in your staff, um, you're not, sorry, not your staff, all of our staff, but your chef partners, then it becomes a little easier to look at making a pivot. And that's what we ultimately decided to do. So I think this is a strong decision by you all. I think that understanding where you all sit in the market is a, sometimes a place that owners don't take a look at. They're often like, this is my vision. This is the only thing I have. So I really like that you guys have been like, you know what, maybe maybe this isn't what's right for this neighborhood. How was that decision made? So I think it, before the decision is made, we kind of looked at what we were. Um, one thing we were was proud of the food we were putting out. And I think that uh, the reviews for the cuisine at Coco Drilo can speak for themselves, and none of that changes. The culinary staff uh, is not changing at all. But what we did see was that um, the atmosphere in the space we had created was maybe ended up being a little different than what we had envisioned and who who we wanted to uh, cook for and enjoy food and drinks with. Um, we wanted to be food for everybody every day and not... Um, where we ultimately landed with Coco Drilo is more of a special occasion, uh, anniversary, birthday, date night spot um, that was characterized as, by some as expensive or fine dining. Um, and <clears throat> we wanted to be a space where anyone could come and experience 
all the beautiful things of fine dining, like access to two chefs who make unbelievable food without having to spend a hundred dollars a head. So that realization came to us when we ran our Dia de los Muertos $35 prefix menu. We had some incredible conversations with new diners in the space that were super excited to be dining here and experiencing their food at a price that fit their budget. So that's when we started thinking, huh, maybe we need to rethink how we're giving the product to the people in not just our neighborhood, but all at Richmond. Um, so then the wheels kind of started turning. Well, it's like, well, if we're going to start thinking about changing how we give the food, let's rip down all barriers to entry. Let's, let's take off Latin American. Let's take off fine dining. Let's give people access, um, not only in terms of budget, but in terms of food taste and not really define anything. Um, so then it was like, whoa, now we're tearing everything back down to the beginning. And as you see, looking around us, we really did kind of tear down a lot, not everything. We had, like you said, an incredible piece of equipment back there that not a lot of people have. Um, I'm not sure we got to speak before Coco Open, but we got this grill from Charlottesville on Prime 109 when they shut down because of the pandemic. Chefs were all over it. We went up there, met with the owners there. Um, like most, they fell in love with Brad and Brandon and knew that the grill was going to be a good home. Um, they were really foodie people um, that had the grill before, so they were like, if you can get up here quickly, um, get it in a U-Haul and get it out. It's not bolted in. We don't own like we don't owe it to the landlord. Come get it. We know you guys are going to do awesome things with it. So we're like, boom. We, the three of us were in the car with Brad's dad, who's super, super handy because we didn't know how to take it apart. Shout out to Phil. Yeah, shout out to Phil. Um, <laughs> what up, Phil? Thank you, Phil, yeah. for that beautiful yeah. It was awesome because um, putting it together is a lot harder than taking it apart. <laughs> and we just had Christmas, so all the parents with the young kids putting together dollhouse and stuff know exactly what we're talking about. Um, but we highlighted the kitchen around that. Open kitchen here doesn't change. Uh, it's a beautiful piece of equipment that puts incredible flavor in food. Um, we're still highlighting it. Um, so the bones are not changing. Yeah. Um, maybe a little outfit change, uh, facelift, however you want, kind of want to look at it. You guys obviously put a lot of thought and, and blood, sweat, and tears into this place when you opened last year. And I know you, know, you guys opened in, in March, you said? March yep. of 2022. Um, but obviously, you, this was in the plans for, for months and months and months before that. And you mentioned the moment you decided that things needed to change. But leading up to that point where the decision was made, like when did you start seeing the writing on the wall? Like What does that look like amongst owners of a restaurant? Especially the ones that are as seasoned in restaurants as you two are. And we're going to get to your history here in a second because I think it's really important for us to talk about where your chefs have come from. Absolutely. Because I think that will show us your trajectory a little bit of where you're going to go. 100%. Um, you know, I think when that moment comes, it's maybe there's maybe, like I noted, the, the prefix menu, the excitement of that was probably the key. But when you see there's limited dollars to be spent in people's budgets on food and bev and a multitude of options um, in a multitude of ways to spend your money when you choose to, to go out to eat or drink. Um, we became a place at Coco Drilo that did incredible between 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. with a very specific type of diner, a diner whose budgets were big and kind of the high income folks in the city and they're that's a limited market in a limited time of day they all want to eat at 7 p.m they all want very similar stuff they are i'm speaking very generally here um 
not about one specific person, obviously, but th there's a lot of unique trends to that that market. Um, that it's just a limited time to to take advantage of it, and um, we did really well. But we wanted to broaden our scope. Um, we wanted to see more of our friends in the space. We wanted Coco was um, by eight thirty p.m. like nose diving, and it's like what. Like especially with Brad and I, we're like ten o'clock when people start like ramping things up. Um, so it was like, you know, what? Why are we getting into like why are we in where we are? Um, you start to see the way people use the space, and then you can be like, okay, well, how do we get them to think differently? Um, which is why we ultimately decided to change the name and change the base concept as opposed to trying to shift the customer at Coco while still being Coco, if that makes sense. One more question from me about the past before we move into the, the future. Um, obviously, you did your homework and your research before opening this place, I, I assume. Yes, obviously. So did the neighborhood demographic. Yeah, so. Figured out what that looked like, what are people were eating. Sure. I, there's no way they did it. Right. So what could you have done differently initially? Or what, I guess, what did you think was going to happen initially based on your initial research compared to what in reality, when you open the doors, yeah, I think um, one, we could have stayed Coco Drilo, and we could have continued kind of where we were. Um, we didn't want to continue there, and I think the upside, like we all worked really, really hard, and I think that the upside of what we were is a lot lower than what the upside becomes now. Um, also. Shout out to John Davenport, who I think is one of the most brilliant minds in the space, I'm glad you're period. Because I was going to ask this um, question. So, this is good. So, this location that we're sitting in now is actually a legacy John Davenport location. He was one of the original owners of Cafe Katura that had a 10 year run here. Um, Coco Trio was born out of this space becoming available during the pandemic. Um, Brad and I had always talked about opening a more food focused venue um, in addition to the bowling alley, which kind of speaks to like some of the feedback y'all got from our original podcast being like, Roby, why are y'all going to a bowling alley? Right? Well, because Brad Slumaker's in that bowling alley cooking <laughs> and you're going to learn about him in a little bit. But <clears throat> when this space became available, it was Brad, are you ready? Yes. How do we do this? Let's get Brandon. And then it's go time. Right? So um, we, did not anticipate that John was going to open Conejo right across the street. Um, that's call a spade a spade. Um, we also didn't anticipate that like nine other taco concepts were coming to Richmond. Um, but I say that with a little hesitation because part of the problem with Coco Drilo, I think with people's utilizing the space and how they saw it was not a full grasp that Coco Drilo was not just a taco space or not a Mexican restaurant that it was a, a higher-end Latin American restaurant, which is very, very different than a Mexican restaurant. Um, it's hard, to, it's hard to, to change people's perception or expectations um, of those things, um, which is yet another point to why the name Coco Trilo and what was associated with it, um, which so ironically is like, starts with a C and ends with an O, just like Conejo, right? Um, and like down to some of the plate selection, like it was uncanny how similar some of that stuff was. Um, so yes, yeah, so there were some things that were happening in the market that were a little different, but when John and I talked, the, the, 
our initial discussion, I, you know, there was not a huge worry because we weren't, we didn't view ourselves as in the same lane, but the market maybe did, um, where I think that perception of the market helped Conejo and John, um, where, and the rest of his team, it's not just John, obviously, um, his wife's incredible as well. They're two of the smartest people in town. Susan. Susan, yes. And, um, so yeah, we can't anticipate all of that. And, um, you know, those things happened and then it's like, okay, well, do we, do we stay in that lane that we've been put in or do we take control of the situation now and pivot? And, um, because we have dynamic talent in the back of house, it's, the chefs are here every day in the kitchen cooking, which um, a lot of concepts can't say that their executive chef is there every single day. Um, one of the two, another benefit of having two awesome chefs, owners. Um, so we decided like, let's pivot now um, and not stay in a lane that, um, that we were in, in the market. Um, because you can't, you, you can't control what other people are opening. You can't control that, um, that there are going to be that many new concepts that are all very focused in the taco market opening all around you. Um, it's hard. As someone who lives in this neighborhood, um, I was extremely elated when I heard there was going to be something that wasn't the that was Cafe Futura. And I, I, if you know me at all, I have said this multiple times, I, and I'll say it again, I think it was absolutely horse going to have to bleed me. So when I hearing that you guys were going to do something here, I was so stoked when I sent you a message and you were like, I'm going to have Lemaire and Shagbark alum in this restaurant. And I'm like, heck yes. So let's talk about you all's histories and how, I don't know, just give me all the history, Brad. So tell me how you came, where you are, how you got here, who you are, all that stuff. So I'm originally from Richmond, born and bred. Um, I actually grew up doing, working a lot of carpentry. That's like what I was into since I was yay high. And then just got tired of doing it and finally got into La Mer. Um, didn't know what I was doing, you know, Bundy there. Breathing down my chef, breathing down my neck, <laughs> um, and I started to question like, is this for me? And you know, I just stuck, I stuck into it. And nine years later, you know, being sous chef with Bundy for six years, um, it just made me love it. That, was, that place taught me so much. Chef taught me so much. Um, and then you know, nine years later, nine and a half years later, I was like, man, it's time to move on. Everybody under me is also like. When are you leaving? When are you leaving? So I, no kitchen experience in nah, the mayor. I had worked at a couple. I had worked at like Roos Chris um, briefly, you know, dabbled, but never never fell in love. Le Maire, I fell in love with food. What was it about his kitchen specifically or, or your job that made you start to fall in love? I think just the way Chef ran that kitchen. I've never seen a kitchen run like that. He was he was a hard ass, I would say. Um but it just it just made me want to be better. Were you allowed to smile on the line? Of course, sometimes. <laughs> have you seen the <laughs> Have you seen the recent article about Noma and oh, yeah. how oh, yeah. Renee would chef oh, yeah. would not allow people to smile? I know yeah. that um, Chef Bundy runs a very tight kitchen. He does. He does. He he has produced a lot of talent out of that place, and it's. I mean, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for Chef. He is the reason that. 
myself and Brandon and tons of other people come out of that kitchen if you want it being who they are and, and being good at what they do he's that dude's amazing what does a tight um, kitchen mean i never worked in the kitchen before I mean, clean just all you know and that would be organization there's a lot of kitchens i mean i've i've seen and know a lot of people in this industry and go into some really nice restaurants i'm not naming any um and it they just not organized not clean you can walk into river city right now river city roll right now it looks like a brand new kitchen we've been there five years and it's it's all about taking a sense of pride in what we do, and, and he was so amazing at that. So amazing at just making sure you're prepared, and, and yeah, did he do it in a, in a rough way sometimes? For sure, but that is why I'm good at what I do today, you know? I wouldn't be where I'm at. I, I owe a lot of it to him. Yes, you know, I work hard, um, but he's the one that just pounded it in me and just made me good. So finally I was like, man, it's, it's time to, you know, move on, and... Um, I kind of just jumped around. I did went kind of back to the carpentry for a little bit, and then I got this opportunity at Ben Newbanks, uh, Rob Long's partner, um, reached out to me, and we sat down, and, and it seemed you know it seemed kind of weird um, going from Lemaire, but their dream of what they wanted it to be, you know, fit, and I was just like, man, let's let's do this. So, and Chef Brad has earned an ownership interest in River City Roll now because yes. we would not be where we are at River City Roll without him. Five years later, and, and you know, we, we, Rob and I have always like talked about another venture, and hopefully more to come. Um, but Rob's always looked out for me. He's, I told him, I was like, I'm not going anywhere. I never will. This is the end game for me. I'm, we're doing all these ventures together, and I'll be here to the death. And now it's on tape, so he has to. Yeah. <laughs> Loving this, loving this. Blood oath over How here. Is it from being a sous chef or to Walter Bundy going to running your own kitchen? Like, is there some nerves there? I or was like- scared. Okay. I was like, I questioned myself a few times. You know, and if you're not scared, something's wrong. Something's wrong. You feel like you know it all, and I, I definitely, I didn't feel like I was ready, but I just, it, it means you want to execute correctly and right you know and that's what i did i was scared as hell but once we kind of got past the opening and the teaching and um it was okay you know i i I put my head down in that kitchen for two and a half years didn't leave it didn't step foot outside of that restaurant um and it pays off now i've got you know i'm still there i'm still here but i've got two wonderful sous chefs that they run they run it you know they i've taught them well i put the plans in place and they know how to make it happen without me holding their hand every day so walter Bundy is very well known as a chef in this town i mean most people are oh, yeah. familiar with shag bark and lemaire um especially from a fine dining standpoint being that you are in we'll call a spade a spade you are the um, executive chef of a essentially a bowling alley but has great food and now maybe a more neighborhood spot what are some of the legacy things that he taught you that you brought into this restaurant, the neighborhood restaurants, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I don't necessarily, I take a lot of things that I learned from him and, and transfer them over, but the key things was like just the cleanliness, how to run a place. You know, I mean, I, my managing style is a little bit different from a chef. Um, you know, uh, I, I definitely... Yeah, at River City, I might have yelled five times in five years. You know, I, it's all teaching moments. I tell you what, the way he did 
do what he did and got through. It's just different. Um, he's very old school, and that's kind of the old school mentality. Really just organization and just the overall big picture. You know, he told, when I got the sous chef job, again, I was scared. I was scared of being the chef of a place. And even when I got the, the sous chef job and he offered that to me, I was like, I don't think I'm ready. And I, I told him that. I was like, I don't think I'm ready to do it. Just, you know, me wanting to, to do it well. Um, he was like, man, it's not that hard. Just look at the big picture. And, you know, and I tell this to my sous chef these days, not like, Tunnel vision, make sure the food's right. It's like your job is to make sure that this place runs, not just back of the house to the front of the house. Like you got to see the customer perspective. It's like look at the whole big picture. And that's probably the biggest thing that stuck in my mind with him. I still remember that to this day. That was before I became sous chef. It's like just look at the big picture, everything. It sounds like he's a mile way or the highway kind of guy, like the big leader, the big chief yes. in the kitchen. You're in a situation where you're a co-executive chef. How's it working with this guy in the kitchen? It's great. I mean, that's where it's it's awesome. Me and Brandon, that's where we met was Le Maire. Um, he stops. I don't remember that much. Sorry, Brandon. Um, I remember he stopped with us, um, and we just we hit it off. And you know, I think you, you did your internship there, and he was there what five years? Yeah, it was about five years. And we just, we hit it off. Brandon's great. Um, we've been friends ever since, you know, the first month of him working there. And to be able to reach out to him and be like, hey, man, you want to do this new venture with me? It was like, I wouldn't have picked anybody anybody else. He was the first person I thought of. Um, and- Making me blush. So walk me, Brandon, through your history in a kitchen. So I took a, I'd say, a more traditional route from high school to culinary school up in Rhode Island. And then after that, applied for an internship back here in Richmond because, I mean, I was teaching competitive drum lines up there at the same time. And there's only one in the state of Rhode Island. So I came back down here to kind of do both passions, the food and the music side of things. So coming back down here to do that, taught a bunch of high schools, wrote for a bunch of high schools while doing the internship. And also while going to VCU for a semester as well. VCU didn't work out for me because the business side of things was at that point was just way too over my head. And I was involved in way too many things. So coming into the kitchen over at La Mer and Brad's breaking down a side of tuna, listening to Outcast. I was like, yeah, this is kind of more my style. So <laughs> it worked out pretty well at that end. And then stuck it out for five years there with some breaks to do some competitive drum course stuff. And coming back here, they always held a job for me and always expected me to come back. And I did. And when it was time to do the shag bark thing, Walter approached me for that. I think after Brad said no. And then basically stick, stick and helping him with that back in 2016 for the opening there. And then that's really what helped me drive my force into the management side of food things and keep that going. And then after those five years, the hell that was the pandemic and trying to maintain a business and keep it alive was a big portion of that. And then Brad approached me with this with Rob and now we're sitting here talking to you. So Brad is an outcast guy in the kitchen. What is your musical uh, taste in the kitchen? I drive in silence, so not really much. What? <laughs> I also did not know this competitive drum stuff until right now, and I've known Brandon for a while, so my, my mind is blown that he is a competitive drummer and that I knew nothing about this. Same. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've, I've slept in a lamb field with him and didn't know, so. Whoa, that's a story for, that's a story for another podcast. Eat at Virginia after dark. What does a competitive drummer do exactly? Uh, it's high-end marching band, like the NFL of marching band. Was that whole thing? Did that all throughout, all throughout high school, and then did it on a very competitive level. And I'm sorry, you said you were from Rhode Island, or you're from here? Uh, I was actually born in Florida, and then I lived overseas until about fifth grade, and then came back here and 
family's all from South Jersey area, so we had a summer home up there, but my dad didn't want to be too close to the family up there, so within driving distance, so we got a house here down in Richmond because of the schools and kind of stuck around Richmond through all grade school for me. Then marching band, all that took off and fell in love with that and food, and at one point I had to make a decision whether to go to the music world or the food world, and pretty sure Brad had something to do with the food world choice, so... And no music in the kitchen. That's a little. I'm a little upset about that. No, in the car. No, in the car. In, in, in the car, I drive in silence. In the kitchen. Oh, in the car. I'm, no, in, I meant in the kitchen when you're oh, yeah. cooking. Well, like, what I, do you? I, I don't, what do I don't you? Like to take control of. There's a lot of other people in the kitchen other than me, and whoever's kind of doing the most work and whoever's there first basically gets full control of that radio. So, not. I, I don't want to say this is you all, but um, you all know a lot of chefs, and there are some egos in the industry. How do you all keep that together in the kitchen? with such great histories. Like, how do you say, okay, Brad, this is your lane, or okay, Brandon, this is your lane, or do you collaborate? Yeah, I don't know how we work so well with each other, but we really do at some point. There's just an unspoken thing that goes here, and it's just, he kind of helps with things that he knows that he wants to be a part of, and I respect that, and he does the same with me. We compliment each other. I think things that I'm not great at, he's good at, and vice versa, and that's why it works so well. What are some of those things? Uh, I suck at computers. <laughs> computers? Yeah. Okay. I'm not good at that. He's great. Brad's knife skills are way better than mine, but my, my Excel skills are way better than his. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they both cut stuff. different ways, guys. They both yeah. cut. Different. Hey, a quarter inch is a quarter inch. Come on. Yeah. We, we feed off of each other, and I don't think, I mean, we've, I don't think we've ever had an argument, you know, which is crazy. No. With it, it really is uncanny from my view, and... As we talked about in my first chat with you guys, like I did not come from a restaurant background. I came from a banking background. And you read, you try to read and learn as much as you can. You always read about um, front of house, back of house, and like all the dramas in the kitchen. Well, like with these two, it, that's so wrong. Like it's the opposite. It's the kitchen, because they're both such good teachers and they just love teaching people how to do stuff, like the, the camaraderie back there, there's no drama. And no drama is a stretch, but there's very little drama. And it, I have never heard them argue over anything. It's crazy. Um, and, and I think like it could be, a, it's hard. One, it's hard to find one good chef, right? So we are so blessed to have two incredible ones. And having two makes them so much stronger than one because you see things a little differently. Um, you hone stuff in a little better. You have someone to... Before we're at River City Roll, maybe it's Rob and Brad pinging back an idea on a, a dish. When you put Brad's uh, Brad and Brandon's head in there, plus me as more of a cons- thinking like a consumer, it just becomes this product becomes so much stronger. You guys are planning to reopen this concept. What day? January twentieth. So this week, what are we willing to tell people about? What are we willing to tell people about the new concept? Do we have a name? We do. We do have a name. You know it. You can. Bar West. Bar West. Now that makes more sense to me. Correct. Uh, I, and if you flip it over, it has the actual. There's a there's a logo. Look at that, a little logo for Bar West. It's very very cool. What made you decide that name? So, if you've been listening this whole time, um, we and what the space became, we wanted to utilize the name to help uh, set people's expectation. Um, the word bar is a word that most people know and understand. It's also a word that most people don't view as like a stuffy, higher-end atmosphere. So we thought it was really important to, to have that word in there to help 
get people thinking about the space the right way. West, obviously a directional moniker. We are the furthest west part of Grove where we're located. What has become known as West Hampton, the West End. Um, so we wanted to just have a very clean, easy to say, easy to type, easy to Instagram name. Lesson learned, right? Lesson learned. Coco Drilo, I heard, said maybe 15 different ways. Um, Bar West, I think we probably are going to get one iteration of that. Um, and what you can expect is, as the name suggests, a, a, a fun bar atmosphere, an expanded drink program, uh, but with an extremely solid culinary program. Um, the proudest part for us when we sat down with the staff to talk about the transition, we did not lose one person. Uh, we've kept everyone on payroll. Their, their lives have not changed one bit during this brief shutdown. Um, their paychecks have stayed the same, and we've kept them all on board, and they're all excited. Um, we're going to have a very diverse menu from price point to food type. Um, like we said earlier, if you want to be food for everybody every day, if you want to come on Tuesday, spend $30. You can come on Tuesday and spend $30. Leave full and happy. If you want to come on a Saturday date night and you want to celebrate your anniversary and spend $200 with two bottles of wine, you can do that too. Um, we're so excited about it. Um, we also took the handcuffs, handcuffs off the chefs. Um, no longer are they bound by the Latin American lane. Um, whatever inspires them, they can riff off of and, and, and show to the Richmond Diner. And now I think we're going to be one of the few places where you can spend $30 and have access to, to five-star chefs. I think that's brilliant. Especially, I mean, I, I don't want to say this rebrand, I'll put quotations mark, quotation marks there because um, you, you guys have the same people, so it's just a name change and equally as good food. But we, I just brought up the conversation about Noma and how they're closing in 2024, which is like not even really a closing because it's two years <laughs> from now. But that's fine. Um, he did discuss a little bit when he was talking about sustainability and how it's tough to sustain a fine dining atmosphere currently in the market. I mean, we'll call it a recession. We're going to be there here soon. We just haven't said it yet. Um, do you feel like this trajectory is like partly that? Oh, 100%. If you look at the world, and we kind of touched on it briefly earlier, That's outside of our neighborhood, our city, um, and you see national headlines from the best restaurant in the world calling a spade a spade and saying how hard it is. Um, a lot of people don't see how hard people work in the kitchen. Like these two work so much harder than anyone I've ever met um, to provide an awesome product to you as a diner because we know that when you come here, you're choosing to spend your hard-earned dollars with us, right? And we want to give you that back. And I think when you look at the world and if it's not going in a great place and people start allocating dollars differently, um, the first thing in our minds gets cut is a $200 Coco Drillo date night, right? But people were social beings. I think we've really learned this in the pandemic is that we yearn like to be around other people. Like what's the greatest thing in our culture, arguably that keeps people together, food and drink, right? So we want to be able to provide the space for people to be together regardless of their budget. And if, if the world does continue to get worse, we're still here for you when you need to see your friend and you don't want to cook at home and you want to have a drink. We're here, even if you only want to spend 10 bucks. We're going to have a, a draft beer that's always $2 here. A nice, crushable, easy beer, regardless of where the world goes, we think we'll sell a lot of $2 beers. All right, chefs, the pressure's on you now because Rob said he's going to 
the handcuffs are gone and you can make whatever you want in the kitchen, what are some of the things that you anticipate will be on the menu in the beginning and then as we get a little more comfortable? They're, Somebody they're, they're looking at each other like, <laughs> who goes first? I mean, we've, we've, we've had a lot of fun here with the Latin American profile for a bit and we still don't want to see that go all the way gone by the wayside. So you can still expect some stuff like that. You'll get your pozole at some point, I promise. But move, moving into a lot of promises world. on this podcast too. Hey, hold it, hold it to it, please. Um, we've got some things on the menu like lamb chops, things that people still feel a little more high end, but people still love to have them as well. It can still be a snackable bite at a bar, but it can also be a second course for an entree, things like that down the road. So, being able to implement some small snacks, things that are three to five dollars, things five to seven dollars, things like that that we can have on our menu that are still approachable, fun, and being able to have a nice quality ingredient on the plate. But focusing down the road, we do have a nice core menu that's really approachable to everybody. But having the specials program implemented in there as well is going to be a lot of fun. Being able to use some local things like the rockfish that we've been cooking for years and things like that and getting squash blossoms and soft shell crabs and things like that. So. so you guys know a lot of people in the industry here in Richmond, right? What are the odds that you all use those connections to bring some of those chefs to this area of Richmond because they don't normally, I mean, a couple of them come to like Yellow Umbrella, which is great, right? But like, what are the odds that that occurs down the road and we see maybe, I don't know, I'm just going to say it, Walter Monday show up here and have a little time in the kitchen. The invitation's or, out there, chef. Take it. Um, or, I mean, yeah. But, but also you could have someone maybe from, I don't know, like Lee Gregory and Bo are going to be nearby. So yeah, is that a collaboration? You know, I'm just going with the fact that you all do and have worked with some of the greatest here in Richmond. I mean, that's, that's the place we want this to be, that our friends can come hang out. You know, n- nothing against Coco, but... I ate here once, you know, it's like, it, it wasn't my scene, it's a really nice place, but it's not somewhere I would come hang out and drink a beer, um, you know. I'm talking about cooking in the kitchen. Oh. I would love to see a couple oh, yeah, of yeah. you guys run a pop-up on well, that kind of been, wicked, wicked piece of equipment. We've been throwing out some money. Well, so with our new hours... Um, really could Walter use it, let's be honest. I'm joking. Um, I'm joking. <laughs> I'd, lo- yeah. I'd love to hear his response to that coming from Rob. Um, Text me. That invitation is not going to be accepted if I give it. Maybe if Brandon gives it. Um, I think with our new hours of operation, we can happy to, to share that. We'll be noon to midnight. Um, we're adding an incredible brunch. Think these awesome brunches they've been cooking at La Mer in their past, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday and Sunday. We did not have that previously. No more breakfast here. Um, the brunch, I think, is going to be something that is extremely well adopted by everyone because this side of town, there's no one doing that traditional brunch really well with mimosa flights, Bloody Mary flights, and then an incredible uh, traditional brunch menu. So we're so excited. But with that, Sunday nights we're slated to be closed as our kitchen. So we've kicked around that exact idea, Roby, of doing some really fun pop-up Sunday nights um, to keep the space lively, to get friends in the space, to utilize this awesome kitchen that is exposed to the diner to see. Um, So good read there. We look forward to doing that. And all the names you mentioned, the invitations out, and the the list. Richmond's awesome now. I mean, the list of talent is is deeper than I would say it's ever been. So... um, you know, now that we're open later, we hope, like Brad was saying, not in, in addition to getting him in the kitchen, but we want to be the spot when some of these um, nicer restaurants close at 10, where when their staffs get off, they come to see us, where they know they're going to get good food from people they know and be able to unwind for two hours till midnight after their shift's over. 
So you think this neighborhood could sustain a later opened restaurant? Oh, yeah. I agree. There's, there's not really not many places around here that are open past 10 anymore. New hours on signs across the street, things like that. Every place is basically closed by 10. But there are a lot of places around here that when they close at 10, those staffs have employees that, that need a place to go and unwind. And we just hope to be that place. And I think Jack Brown's does a good job across the street of showing us that there is demand after midnight. I mean, they are open until 2 a.m. every day. And uh, they're, they're pretty busy. Yeah. Um, and we have liquor across the street until 12. And yeah, they, well, Jack Brown's incredible. No, no dig at them. But yeah, we do have liquor. Uh, you know what? We also have tequila. And we're also going to have, I think like as uh, y'all's listeners, I mean, I think it's, we've had some really fun exercises that like I wish we could expose everyone to, to see kind of how, how it's made here. This go around, we, we did bring in three um, food bloggers, local fl- food bloggers to sit down with me and get a sneak peek of some menu stuff without the chefs there. We, you want to talk about who they are? It's the events individual on Instagram, Elaine Diggs. Yeah. Yeah. It is the wine individual, also with the Richmond Experience, Paige, I'm going to say her last name, Sahaki. Paige is great. Yep. And then you're actually like maybe more national food individual, um, real food with gratitude. Am I yep. correct? Katie Brown. Yep. Katie Brown. Right. And then our friend um, Kate Stevenson from Kate Uncorked, who is a sure. meal prep service here in town that is plant heavy, gut healthy. Um, we thought this go round. Um, we do, the three of us do kind of like to eat similar things. So we thought it would be fun to engage some folks that, review restaurants and show them do what, they review restaurants or give give reviews on their experiences in spaces um that are talking about either food related events or bars or bowling alleys or restaurants publicly on their instagram about how they are enjoying a space we thought it would be an interesting exercise to engage with them and let them know what the back end looks like in creating one of those spaces that they are interacting with publicly oh, for folks to look idea. at sure um so that was a fun exercise we left the chefs out of those conversations on purpose so that they didn't hold back um if there and was what a, did you learn we learned a lot we learned that um the that the way you name food and talk about food is extremely important in terms of even if the dish is the exact same dish that is coming out on the plate um this is a fun thing that we go back and forth a lot on where those two never argue with each other the 2v1 argument between the three of us happens a lot um, because they are so ingrained with naming food like at La Mer, right? Like it's, it's, it's the diner there, like they like that. But here where we're doing something like wings um, or a pasta dish, we don't have to call it like cacio e pepe where someone might be intimidated by it. Let's just call it pasta. And then when it comes out, they're like, wow, that was awesome. Um, so the, the folks we met with we did, were great with kind of helping us further understand that the way you name something on the menu um, can dictate how someone orders, um, which was awesome. Um, and I think you'll see a lot of that when you see our menu, that the food is going to come out and you're going to love the food. And the name on the menu is going to be easy for you to understand too. Burger, wings, um, burrata, pasta, steak frites, lamb chops, you know things you know. And then... It's going to come out. And it's going to be in a way you might not have had it, and you're going to and you're going to hopefully enjoy it. You're obviously really, you're obviously really excited about where we're going here at the Bar West. Is there a part of you that's disappointed or sad to see the old concept go? Always. Uh, Coco Drilo was. It's funny because 
when you look at the two just from like a branding standpoint, well, one of the best was like when we went to talk with our friends at Yebo who helped us um, with the launch of Coco. I, I didn't tell them why I was asking to speak with them a month ago because um, I knew we had like a turbocharged timeline. Like if you're going to make a pivot, the first two weeks of January in our industry is like the time to do it, right? Like there's a lot of dry January that happens for maybe 10 days. There's a lot of people that just went through the holidays are a little tired. They've eaten and drank a lot. So like, you know, it's, it's a slow time. It's a good time to pivot. So I went down and sat with them and I told them and they were like, what? You're, cha- you're wait a second, um, which I loved. And we spent a lot of time on like a really sweet logo, a really cool name and like, is that what really makes a, a restaurant or the food or the drinks? No. Um, so like, yes, Bar West is such a simple name. It's clean. You can say it. You can understand it. And that's what our food is going to be too. It's just going to be really good and you understand it. Um, but of course, we're always going to be sad. I mean, we we grinded over Coco Drilo for a year. And it's not like we're changing because it was bad. Um, I, I would say if you looked at our reviews, I mean – Heck, like we, River City Roll reviews is talk about a mixed bag. I mean, it's like some people are like, you suck. Some people are like, we love it. Coco is pretty dang close to like, the food's awesome. The biggest pushback was price. Um, it's Price is easy to change. Um, you can't teach their talent, but you can steer the talent into a, a broader price point um, and make your space more accessible. But yeah, I mean, Coco is always going to hold up. We have a lot of gear. We'll let you leave with some. It's going to be vintage in about 10 days. And, uh, Fire sale. Uh, Libby yeah. Grove. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Rob um, Wong has gone crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be that. And uh, we're, we're still so proud of the product we put out. Um, I think it goes back to what Roby was saying about looking at the world. And, uh, I mean, the best restaurant in the world is talking about having to change. Like, we're going to be proactive and, and we are young and we're a dynamic team and we're going to be here for a long time. And we're, we're not going to just stay in a lane to stay in a lane. You know, we're going to, we're going to outwork other people and we're going to pivot where we need to pivot and we're going to stay relevant. And I, and I think that's what we're doing here. You're listening to eat it Virginia with Brandon, Brad and Rob of what was Coco Drio and now is bar West. So it's interesting to have Rob on the podcast three years after his initial appearance, which was obviously three years, January of 2020. He has some real vision. It's it's interesting. It's really interesting to listen to him and his thought because his restaurants are in two very different places for community wise. And I'm I'm curious to see how they translate this Libyan Grove area to a late night spot. Um, I read Eileen. Hopefully she'll come on the podcast. Eileen Mellon's article on Richmond Magazine. And there is a quote from one of the guys saying they wouldn't go to La Mer for a late night drink, but they're hoping that this restaurant will be a place that people can hang out. And I'm curious, I am, I'm I'm very, very intrigued by that direction. You mentioned that you are a neighbor um, of this restaurant, and I will say I don't live within walking distance of, of there, but it is my extended community, Western Henrico-ish, mm-hmm. and I do struggle sometimes finding a place to have dinner after a certain hour. I'm looking forward to trying what they're offering, so I'm excited for one. Hopefully it works for them this time around. We talked about this, you and I did, 
we walk the dogs and we'll stop with the dogs on the patio there um, more frequently than not. So having something that maybe, I mean, it never seemed not casual to me. I, I do wish they'd clean that porch off once or twice ever, but um, it always seemed pretty casual with that respect. But I, you know, we didn't go for long drawn out dinners. We went for that reason. So I'll see. Perhaps there's going to be one or two or 10 new places to check out in the coming weeks and months. This is our going to be our new segment where I throw out some names of restaurants at you and you're going to tell me what you're hearing about them and uh, kind of your initial thoughts based on maybe a headline, based on what you know about the people involved. Uh, if anyone out there has an idea of a name for this segment, please hit us up on social media at Eat It Virginia. Um, all right. The first one. Are you ready, Roby? I am. Are you sure? No. <laughs> the first restaurant I want to throw at you is coming to us from a past podcast guest, James Kohler. And it's yeah. called Stanley's RVA. And it's going into the old Robin End spot in I guess that's the fan. Yeah. The fan on Robinson. What are you what are your what are you hearing about it? And then what are your thoughts about what you're hearing? I'm like almost overly stoked on this, which may put them at a disadvantage. I don't know a lot of places that have really great, I mean, I'm sure we have some that people love, but I think maybe they, Philly cheesesteaks or the idea of a cheesesteak that's made in the way they make them in Philly or Philadelphia, however you call it, um, are scarce here in Richmond. I mean, Mr. Submarine probably is the best in my opinion, my opinion, it said it's the best. Um, so having a place where that is this actual specialty, I think is fantastic. Also, let's talk about the need to have another dive bar on that in that area of Richmond. We used to have so many and now we don't. So I'm hoping they'll revive the dive bar. I love a dive bar. So to be clear, Stanley's RVA is what I read about it. It's like a Jersey, Philadelphia style sandwiches, kind of comfort foodie Go in and have a, a beer, a cheap beer, or maybe so not James Fuller and Mike Epps, who is behind Cobra Burger, um, one of the owners. Those two are together in that venture. Um, I think it's I, I'm give me all the hoagies. All right, this segment's off to a good start. I like <laughs> this. All right, second second yep, one. Hit me. About. Another past podcast guest. I guess when you've been around as long as we have, Roby, we've pretty much talked to a lot of people. Chris Staples. Yeah. Is opening or is partners with people who are opening a new cocktail bar called Sidecar. It, it is right next to um, the toast at Winterfield right there. Mm -hmm. So what are you hearing about Sidecar and what are your initial thoughts about that? So funny thing is I actually just, just, he sent me, Chris Staples sent me the press release last night. Um, so um, let's say Thursday, January the 12th, because this will air, this will air this upcoming Monday. Um, I had somebody forwarded me the Instagram before Chris Staples sent me the podcast and I did a little research. I mean, the, not the podcast, the press release. So I did a little research. I had no idea this was coming. I knew he was going to do something because he's been doing a lot of rum research, which sounds like the best research. thing ever. Chris, so invite us. Research. We research. Yes. Is that what that's called these days? Research? It is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is it it's tax write-off? Just drinking rum? It, it, you know what? Traveling all over the place. Why? Why is? Why have we not thought about that, Scott? It's Chris's like Instagram makes me jealous. He's a yeah. smart, a smart guy. Yes, so Chris is. Staples, the Buffer, Jeff, Jess, and Josh, and then 
I think the guy that uh, that trademarked the name Rummelier, Master Rummelier. I don't know. Maybe it's not. They're all involved. There is going to be food, some sort of rum-inspired snacks. So I don't know. How do you feel about a rum drink? Because I so, love a rum drink. I'm not a huge rum guy. I mean, I used to be when I first started drinking. Uh, that was what's in your eggnog. Okay. I like that. And I used to there drink you know, Captain Morgan's when I was a young drinker, but it hasn't been something that I normally would order. So I'm looking forward to trying it, obviously, after January, of course. Uh, I'm not even sure when that's going to open. I don't think it's opening. February. Yet. Yeah, February. Great. Now, the Buffords, who who owned uh, Toast in the West End and recently sold it, um, and they owned Hutch in the West End of Gaskins, had that cocktail bar called Mix, which was like an offshoot of Hutch. So it was like they had a little cocktail bar, shared a kitchen with- Which is now uh, the Verdant Hutch. Lady. Yep. Right. Is this the kind of the same concept? Is it like right next to Toast in- Winterfield and it's like kind of sharing kitchens and it's like just going to be a cocktail bar. Is that what you're hearing? So I don't know enough about what the kitchen specifics are, but it must be similar because there is going to be food and I don't know the spacing there. So, I mean, they're smarty pants. Those buffers are So is Chris Staples. So I bet it is the concepts locked up tight and maybe exactly like the, the other one. Beautiful. Oh. Looking forward to that one. And one more for you, Rob. You're doing great on this segment, by the way. Yay! I kind of like just threw this on you this morning with no warning and you are knocking it out of the park so far. Okay. The last one involves two Richmond brands, the Veil vale and Long Oven. They are now, oh, Ruby <laughs> had a passionate reaction visually and hopefully equally verbally when, yes. uh, when uh, it's her turn to, to talk about it. The Veil, vale, which is on Roseneath and Scott's Edition, announced it is moving a few blocks away to a larger tasting room location. And the folks over at Long Oven, also in Scott's Edition, are doing a food concept inside. The, is it still a brewery or just a tap room now? Would you call it a brewery? Because they're brewing the beer somewhere else. But I think they're going to keep the original location as solidly production. So I right. don't know. I don't know they're, what they're going to take over there. And I, they, I have long stopped following the rules with what constitutes a brewery. I used to follow it pretty heavily. I don't follow it as much as we got have now have like a billion, which is awesome. Right. But yeah, a yakitori, which essentially means fire like over coals. It's a Japanese Japanese, I believe. Um, anything with Andrew Manning and fire, I sign me up. Andrew Manning being one of the chefs of Long Oven, along with Patrick Phelan and his wife, Megan. Um, I think that guy has so much talent. So do Patrick and Megan. I don't want to discount them, but over fire sounds great. And to go with an IPA, which is like, or a heavily hopped forward beer, which tends to be the Vale's, you know, flagship options. I think that, grilled or charcoal or however your term you want to use, pick one. I don't care. Um, Sounds awesome. I do also hear, and this, I don't know if this is true or not. um, I probably should ask, but I've heard that there's going to be a small rebrand or something upcoming with the original long oven too. Okay. Well, we'll keep our eyes and ears open for that. This concept isn't opening until later this year. It's not something that we can try anytime soon. 
I think it's a pretty hefty move for both the veil. And I think the, you just, yakitoris can be, as, as with fire, things can be pretty temperamental. So I think that the, there's the, the detail that you have to put into this is pretty magnificent. Awesome. So that is our short order or order up or whatever you want to call it segment. Great job, Roby. If you guys have a restaurant you want us to mention in this uh, segment, please send us a note on social media at Eat It Virginia. I want to hear about your best bite so far. So our last podcast was with Busky, and that was in the middle of December, I think, we, or maybe even early December that we recorded that one. So with El Carell, whose name I still love to say. So I've gotten some really cool um, feedback on that, by the way. Um, oh? Yeah, just pe- I think people like how much they really enjoyed her and learning about like um, the cans and how you have to have them specifically done. And a lot of people don't know that that work goes into. So it was nothing about me. It was all about El Carell. Everyone loves you, Scott. It's mm. We always get good feedback on you. So that, okay. I mean... That's a given. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. It took a little while to fish it out of you, though. <laughs> well, next... I'm sorry. Did you need to? Oh, I mean, yes. Yeah, stroke my ego, please. We, lo- we my... love you. We love you. You. We love you. Your new haircut's amazing. Oh, you know what? You're the best, Roby. <laughs> Speaking of best, wow, this is all just segueing beautifully. The best bite segment. I want to hear what your best bite of food or sip of drink since our last uh, podcast recording has been. You only get one choice. Great. I know exactly what it is. Oh, beautiful. Let's hear it. Um, and you did spring me up, but I um, just, just like revisited the chicken fiesta like two weeks ago. Nice. And maybe, maybe, maybe less than that. Yeah. And I, I gotta say they, they are dialed in on everything. I love everything. how you say the chicken fiesta. I have to, because it's like that type of event for me. I am like a whole or a half chicken. I am like digging in right there. I'll make a handheld where I'll wrap it up in a tortilla. Right, with- well, wait, you're already breaking the rules of the segment. What's the best bite? I mean, that's a whole meal you're talking about. What's the well, I, can't, what- I mean, I, it, all of them were best bites uh, of that whole meal. <laughs> this is not working. Okay, so my suggestion, if you go, if you'd like to know my best bite, here's how to roll deep. You order a half of her whole chicken, a half her whole chicken, charcoal like the rotisserie. You get a side um, yuca. It, it's spelled with one C, guy, not guys, not two C's. Two C's is inedible. One C is edible. Then you get a side bean and a side corn tortilla. You put a little bean in there. You put a little yuca in there. You pull off a piece of chicken and you only green sauce. Got it. Yellow sauce is saved for the ones that like a little more calories. Green sauce is for the people that like spicy and delicious. And there's your bite. Boom. For the record, this is a chain and there are several locations around town. Which one is your go-to? So it's only Richmond, right? Chicken I don't know. Is located it? in Richmond. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I need, we need to talk to that guy, whoever or that girl, whoever owns it. That's on my list. I need to find out. I don't know. I assume they're only located in Richmond. I've got no idea. And my location is the one off of Belothian, which is near the office that I work out of in my other job. You know what? This whole time I thought it was a, a large chain. I think there's only five, maybe six locations. Harold Vega. Harold, we need you to come on the podcast. There you go. You want to hear <laughs> my best bite? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, really. It, yes. <laughs> this whole segment is just for me to talk about. My best <laughs> bite 
my my daughter Sadie got her learner's permit. Congratulations, Sadie! Yes, she's very excited, and we celebrated with a snack after our experience at the DMV. Truckle Cheesemonger. A new cheese spot where you can have all sorts of cool cheeses and things. So we did a little flight, a little cheese flight or whatever, which was great. But the bite that I want to tell you about is their grill, grilled cheese sandwich, which had crispy bread and oozy cheese. And these are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> Just any bread that's crispy and any oozy cheese or they're specific to the truckle? Oh, I mean, in general, any. That's kind of like the, a key, the keys to my heart. Crispy bread, oozy <laughs> cheese. I hope people that are listening, Scott has an open heart and the keys are there. Use cheese and bread. This episode of Eat It Virginia. <laughs> Eat It Virginia? <laughs> this episode of Eat It Virginia. <laughs> no! Oh, God, no.